I'm very excited. I always say that. Am I ever not excited? You know what? I would probably lie to you and say that I am anyway. But really, I am today very excited to talk to you about something that's not very exciting. That's why I'm excited. <laughs> We're going to talk about <laughs> sexy word. Are you ready for it? We're going to talk about stewardship today. <laughs> and let me tell you a really quick story about stewardship. At the church I grew up with, and I'm laughing because there's some people here from my old church, we used to have stewardship month every year at our church. It was the month of October, and I remember that because I grew up at church. So literally, every year of my life until I was 30 years old, we had stewardship month in October. So we had a whole month, whether there was four or five Sundays, we'd have four or five sermons about stewardship. And now I know what you're thinking. Because I thought this too as a kid. I was like, oh, stewardship? That's just a fancy Bible term that you guys use for giving. Because that's what you really mean. Now, so I was a really bad kid. So I was just like sit through the whole sermon. And I'm just waiting for the end. Because I know at the end the pastor is going to be like, oh, yeah, you guys need to tithe. And like he'll encourage you to give to the church and all that stuff. Right? So like we're all waiting for it at the end, right? So I want you to know that that's actually a very wrong perspective on stewardship. So we want to do a two, only, only two parts, all right, guys? Only this Sunday and next Sunday. I'll spare you the other two. I'm going to keep it real tight, all right? So only two Sundays. But this Sunday, we're going to talk about actually what is stewardship, the heart of stewardship. And then the next week is the life of stewardship, how to do it and why it's blessed. But you can't understand that if you don't actually know what being a steward is. And I want you to know something. Stewardship is not a fancy word for giving and tithing. And I'm not trying to get to that at the end. I'm really not. I want you to understand something. Stewardship is a lifestyle. It's a perspective. And it's an umbrella term. It's a, when you are a steward, many things fall under that. Tithing and giving is part of what a steward does, but it's not the only thing a steward does. We've minimized it because that's the part we hate. So we're like, oh, that just means giving. No, there's so much more blessing and honor under that. So I want to paint the picture for you. What is stewardship? What is that umbrella? Because it's a lifestyle. Okay, it's a lifestyle. Can I give you a really silly example? Because when I heard the word lifestyle, I told you guys before, I used to really love basketball. I'm going to talk about basketball a lot today. I really loved basketball. And there was one point, really old school Nike like campaign said like basketball never stops. You guys remember that? So we, <laughs> me and my friends would get tons of those stupid shirts. And we could always wear them. Even to like worship on Sunday, we would wear them because we'd have basketball practice after worship. And we would always look at each other and be like, bro, basketball never stops. And my friend, my friend would be like, yeah, it never stops. And like, never stops. And like, never stops. That's what we always do. We were so, we were so stupid. And at one point, like someone was like, why are you guys, like so a random person came up to me and was like, why do you guys care about basketball so much? It's just a game. And I was just being stupid and extra. I turned to that person. And I was like, it's not a game. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> I walked away. <laughs> so stupid. I'm sorry. I tried to tell you that. So, but seriously, stewardship is a lifestyle. <laughs> but if you think about it, basketball is kind of a lifestyle, right? Like you can kind of tell, like, they dress a certain way. They, like, wear certain shoes. and stuff. Okay, forget it. We're done. We're done with that example. So I really believe that today God really wants to speak and really reveal to us the heart of stewardship. What did God really intend when he gave that to his people? Okay? And I want to tell you the first truth. Spoiler alert, you're a steward. Whether you want to be or not, you don't have a choice. You really don't. You already are a steward. So the question really is, is whether you're going to be in denial and actually like not do it and like walk away from your position or you're going to accept it and, 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 and be fruitful in it. That's the real question because you already are one. 
Okay, so let's define it first. So can we get that first one? What is a steward? Let's look at the definition. It says, it is a person employed to manage another's property, especially a large house or estate. Now, this is just a general, a general example, a general definition, okay? So it's just off of like Google, okay? From whatever website I decided to take it from, the one that I like the most. A person employed to manage another's property, especially a large house or estate. So you might be thinking, if you're reading that, right, it's just like, oh, that's just a manager, right? Like, I'm just a manager. But I want you to know that definition actually does not fully depict or illustrate the biblical implications of stewardship. Actually, what it meant back in the day when there was monarchs and when there was powerful nobles and things of that nature. It's different now with a free market and capitalism, so we don't really have stewardship, right? That's like weird. Like no one's a steward. The closest thing you could think of is like if someone's like a financial like uh, advisor for like your hedge fund or something, right? They take care of your finances, right? But I want you to know that's only a small portion of it. Or if like you're a CEO of a company, or if you're like a, if you're like a manager of, of, of like properties, like you manage properties, like you manage real estate. That's like kind of it. But that's not the full picture. So that's why when we hear the word steward, we don't understand what it means. So I want to, you to know that it's actually bigger than that. So I want to take a biblical example. So this is the starting point. So we're going to go to the story of Joseph. Okay? So before we get to the story of Joseph, I have to kind of paint it for you. So Joseph was the guy, you guys know, he wore like the colorful coat because he was his father's favorite, right? And he had 11 other brothers, and they hated him. But at that time, his youngest wasn't born yet, Benjamin. So there's actually only 10 brothers who hated him. So the 10 brothers hated him. His 10 older brothers hated him because he was clearly his father's favorite. So basically, they hated him. So they took him and they sold him off to be a slave. <laughs> That's messed up. So we're just going to fast forward so you know what happened. So basically, they, they were going to kill him, actually. So they threw him in a ditch and they're going to kill him. But... One of the older brothers was like, don't do it, guys. Like, dude, you don't want to be a murderer. You don't want blood on your hands. So they saw a caravan of, like, of like just slave traders. So they sold their brother to them. So, hey, here, you can have him. So they sold him to these slave traders. So the slave traders traveled to Egypt where they, unfortunately, where slavery is, they, you know, they, 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 they put slaves on a stage and they sell them, okay? So he was sold off to a wealthy person named Potiphar who needed servants in his house, okay? So we're going to jump to Genesis 39. We're not going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about Joseph's role. What did he do when he was sold into the service of Potiphar? Who Potiphar was a very powerful and a very wealthy man in Egypt, okay? So his master, who was Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed, meaning Joseph, in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had from the from the time, whoop, from the time that he had him overseer had had made him blah, blah, come on. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, thank you, Jesus, and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in-house and field. That's very important. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. It's a powerful example. That's a powerful example. So the first thing you have to know about a steward is that back then, it wasn't compartmentalized. 
So what I mean by that was like, oh, I have like a financial guy, I got a lawyer guy, I got my butler, <laughs> I got a car guy, I got this guy, I got a window washing guy. Back then it was very different. He had one manager who did all of that. It's kind of like executive assistant, but like to like the 100th degree, okay? So like this person would literally take care of everything in this person's life. So it was like an EA, but like to the 100th degree. It was everything. It was all the things happening in his house. Food, laundry, furniture, cleaning, horses, chariots, you know, tailoring, events, travel, family, the bedroom, everything. Like, 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 like dec- I, meant, I meant like furniture. I meant like decoration, not like that. I mean, whoa, my bad, my bad. Yeah, woo, wrong word. Wrong word. Jeez, woo, take that back. Stuart's not allowed in the bedroom, that's for sure. And that was was prophetic because we found out later Joseph denied that. But anyway, that's another story. So he took care of everything. But it wasn't just the house. It was in the field. So that means all his property, all his cattle, all his servants, all his other servants. So he's a manager of all his other servants, all his laborers, all his wealth. Because back then they didn't have like money. Like what, what was a sign of your wealth was the cattle and the land that you owned. So he is managing all of his wealth too, all of his assets, everything, the field, everything, all his crops, all his cattle where they graze, all the sheep shearers who are cutting and getting the wool, everything. He's controlling everything, everything Potiphar owns, both in the house and outside the house, everything. The only thing that Potiphar worried about was what he was going to eat for dinner. Basically, all you all you worry about was just come up at the table and be like, "Where's the menu?" And Joseph would bring him a menu. That's it. So Joseph had a lot of power, a lot of control. When you guys to know something, that 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 this is a powerful picture of what a steward is. So you have to understand that you're not God's financial advisor. Okay, <laughs> you're not like you're not like God's like little like delivery boy where he just makes you do stuff. It's not like that. It's a very very different picture between the relationship between Potiphar and Joseph, okay? But before we get there, that means the first thing that you need to understand about being a steward is that it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a job. Because you realize that because he owned and managed everything, he had to be there 24-7, right? He's there all the time. He sleeps in the same house. They have servants' quarters. He sleeps in the same house. He lives on the property of which he works. You guys get that? So it's not a job. He doesn't come in at 9 a.m., <laughs> balance his checkbook, order people around, order his flights, get him his tailoring, get him his tailoring, put his suit on the table for him, get all his food prepped, and then at 5 p.m. he leaves and leaves him like all the directions of what he did that day. No, he's literally there all the time. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And we can tell that it's a relationship that is honorable because only bestowed upon the most trustworthy person. Because who would you let literally have the keys to every room of your house? To literally know everything about you, everything that you have, everything that you own. That's a steward. It's an honorable position. It's not a job, guys. When God calls you to be a steward, it's a status. It's status actually. (laughs) Compared to all the other servants, Joseph is like, I'm the steward of this house. I'm the chief minister of this house. That's status, guys. Let me tell you guys something. When God calls you a steward, (laughs) you're not some like little, like little P 
peon in the kingdom of God. When he says, I'm bestowing upon you my resources, he's saying, you're trustworthy and honorable. And I will trust you with my very resources. That's powerful, you guys. You guys understand that? It's, 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 not, it's not some low job that you don't want. <laughs> You're not like a manager. <laughs> I have a funny story about being a manager. Oh my gosh. I did not want to be a manager at the pharmacy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> my boss asked me. I didn't really have a choice because I didn't want to like let him down. I was really young at that time. But oh my gosh, that was so stressful managing people. Oh Jesus. Like I could count pills, but I cannot deal with people. Oh, Lord. And I didn't even get that much more. Anyway, so it's just, that's not like, that's not what we're talking about. It's not like God's like, oh, just manage my stuff. Like, like it's like this low like job that no one wants. Like, oh, it's overworked and underpaid. No, this is a powerful, honorable privilege. And do you understand, too, that because he lives on the same property, when Potiphar prospers, he prospers. Everything that Potiphar has, he has. So when they get more rich by, by just osmosis or whatever, that's a bad word, but, you know, like, by, like, diffusion, right, then the quality of his life improves, does it not? When they're more, when Potiphar is more wealthy, is he not more well taken care of? Right? When Potiphar is growing and, and, and amassing more wealth, does it not reflect upon the life of the steward and all the servants under him? He directly benefits from Potiphar. And Potiphar directly benefits from him. Do you see the sim- symbiosis, symbiosis, symbiotic? Re- God, my, my words, Lord, why are you taking them away? Do you see the symbiotic relationship between the two of them? It's not a job. It's not between a boss and an employee. It's a trust. Trust. Oh, my gosh, my words are gone. I'm, I'm tired. Can I just confess to you guys today? My alarm system was going crazy all night. I think I didn't go to bed until 4 a.m. So, Lord, give me strength. But so, thank you. So, the, the relationship between Potiphar and Joseph was a very intimate and close one. He trusted him with everything. That's the relationship that God's calling you to. That's what he means by a steward. He directly benefits from everything that happens to Potiphar. He gets nicer clothes because Potiphar has nicer clothes. He gets to eat the same food, sleep in the same kind of bed, same kind of house, same location, same beautiful property. Everything that Potiphar has, Joseph directly benefits. Now, the second truth about a steward that you may not like, this is the part that I really want to get into, is that you must realize the dynamic of the relationship. If you are a steward, then you must recognize that everything that you have is not yours. Uh Uh-oh, and it is the master's. Now, let's look at this again. We realize where Joseph came from. He was a slave. He had nothing. He was was thrown into a pit by his brothers and then sold off. And he got taken to another country. It's like taken. He was taken to another country and sold into into slavery. Good thing it was a it was it was a it was a righteous man, Potiphar. You know, like Liam Neeson ain't coming. So um and he basically got stuck doing this work. So he had nothing. But I want you guys to understand something. That everything under his care was not his. And he knew that. Could you imagine if Joseph one day was like, <laughs> when Potiphar comes in, and Potiphar's like, hey, can I have that? And Joseph's like, nah, it's mine. <laughs> would you imagine he would ever say that to Potiphar? He would never say that. So this is the part that I really want to get into. Do you truly believe 
that everything you have is not yours and that is God's. Let's get into it. Ooh, I feel the conviction of the spirit on me. Let's go. Mm, mm, I'm ready. Let's go. So I hear the first, the first question I hear is prove it to me. That's what I heard. So, okay, is that, is that really true, Jeremy? You can't just say this stuff, right? Like, prove it to me. Show it to me, right? Okay, so let's go into this. I'm going to show you the nine unchangeable things that were given to you in your life that you had no choice over. You ready? Your gender. Your ethnicity. The place where you were born. That you were born in California or wherever you were born, right? America, wherever you were born. The place where you were born. The date that you were born. That you were born in the 21st century or 20th century, depending on where, where you are. <laughs> I'm, tw- I'm 20th, 1986. So the time of your birth, you didn't have a choice in that. You weren't born in the Bible times. You weren't born in medieval times. You weren't born in the Renaissance. You weren't born in World War I. You were born in the 20th century. You didn't have a choice in that. Your family. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your siblings. You didn't choose your blood type. You didn't choose none of that, Right? Your socioeconomic status at that time, you didn't choose that. You didn't choose to be in, in a middle-class American. Your physical features, your body, you didn't get to choose that. Some of you are like, yeah, can I get a witness? I didn't get to choose that. Yeah, well, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you didn't, I'm sorry. We can't all look like models, okay? So sorry, we can't all look like Jason. So, I mean, woo, love you, bro. You look good, though, <laughs> right? We can't all look like that. Well, but you didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice of your hair color, your eye color, your height, your body frame, your body type. You didn't, you didn't have a choice of any of that. And your talents and skills, you didn't have a choice in that. You didn't have a choice that you were good at math, bad at math, good at science, bad at science, good at singing, not good at singing. <laughs> Can be on worship team, can't be on worship team. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man, whoa, I, 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 that was too far, sorry. You guys get what I'm saying? All these things were given to you, but you didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. So what does that mean? Does that mean it was yours? Now I hear the second argument come into play. I hear someone saying to me, and I understand, especially because you're probably Asian. You said, well, I worked hard, Jeremy, for everything in my life. I'm being serious now, so I'm not joking anymore, okay? You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I started from. And I worked hard for everything that came to me. I worked hard for it. I studied my tail off. I worked while I was in school. My parents didn't support me. I didn't get no money. I had to borrow to go to college. You don't know my story. How dare you come and tell me that God gave me everything. I worked my tail off for everything. You don't know what I did. Blood, sweat, tears, tireless nights, two jobs. You know, I know what you're talking about because I met a woman when I was in pharmacy school. She had two kids I was trying to finish pharmacy school. I was still working full-time, taking care of her kids, and going to graduate school. I understand. I'm not trying to sound insensitive. So I want, you to, I want to tap the brake a little bit. As we're talking about this, my goal in letting you understand that everything comes from God is not to be insensitive, okay? But I want you to know now we're going to step into the relationship between hard work and talent because both are necessary. Can we get into that? One does not diminish the other. Both are necessary for success. Let's get into that. I'm going to pick on KD because I don't like him. I'm just kidding. Actually, I kind of. Okay, so KD says this on his website. <laughs> hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Does that, doesn't that sound like that's biblical truth? Doesn't that sound like it's right? Doesn't that sound like that makes sense? Hard work beats talent when talent 
fails to work hard. Now, that is a half-truth. <laughs> so that's not always true. Let me give you an example. I'm going to pick two of the biggest busts in sports, in Bay Area sports history. And I'm going to compare them to myself. Let's go. Number one, who's a Raider fan in the house? All right, Timmy. I got you, bro. Don't worry, bro. I got you. You're, you're, you're proud. I love you. You remember Jamarcus Russell? Remember Jamarcus Russell? Ooh, oof. Coveted, coveted pick out of LSU. Man, that guy, they thought the world of him. And then what happened? It's actually a really, it's actually a really sad story. I don't mean to pick on him. Uh, and for 30, 30 for 30, something happened in his family. And so he fell into really big depression and he just stopped playing, practicing football and just started eating for stress, okay? But to say that he didn't work hard, I think I can say that, right? He didn't work hard at his craft. But even still, I guarantee you today, even if I threw a football for an entire year and trained my tail off, if I had to stand next to Jamarcus Russell and even go to a walk-on practice for the Raiders, I would die and he would survive. I'm not saying they would want either of us, but they ain't happening, okay? I'll take another more funny story. Pablo Sandoval, who is a San Francisco Giants fan? Pablo Sandoval, whoa, hey, hey, hey. I love Pablo, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I love Pablito, all right? But we all know that every time we won the World Series, Pablo had one too many empanadas and he would come back like 30 pounds heavier. That, that, that boy did not work on his game. But let me tell you something, that guy could still rake <laughs> and he was still better than some of his teammates who were probably working really hard in the offseason, but he was still raking. Is that fair? Let me give you one more example. Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan, little fun fact, when he went to go play baseball, because <laughs> you ever know about this? Everyone know this story? Michael Jordan went to go play baseball. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He went to try to play baseball, okay? Michael Jordan is an elite athlete. He is one of the greatest basketball players on the planet. You would think that some of it would carry over, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I watched a documentary on that, too. He spent hours extra. Michael Jordan is, like, the most competitive person on the planet. Like, when, when, when someone told Michael Jordan when he was younger, you can't shoot the three-pointer, all they did was work on his three-pointer. And then he became one of the best, most efficient three-point shooters in the league. When another person criticized his defense, he worked on his defense all year and then became first-team all-defense the next year. That's how crazy Michael Jordan is. So if someone's going to tell him, you suck at baseball, what do you think Michael Jordan's going to do? Right? But guess what happened? <laughs> He worked on his baseball skills. He couldn't get out of double A. That's not even triple A. So he wasn't just one step away from the majors. He was two steps away from the majors. But it's Michael Jordan. So KD, I'm sorry, but I don't think your statement is true. <laughs> hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Let me tell you something, guys. Here's the real truth about talent and hard work. Hard work cannot create talent where it does not exist. Hard work cannot generate talent from nothing, yet hard work maximizes your talent. You guys get that? That's the difference. But if you don't got none, it ain't gonna happen. I'm sorry. Can I tell you, I'll, I'll, use, myself as, I'll use myself as an example, because I know I'm getting really messed up calling out Michael Jordan and Pablo Sandoval and stuff like that, okay? I'll use myself as an example. I'll give you two examples. One, 
was when I was when I really cared about basketball. Okay, I really cared about basketball. I cared about basketball so much. I would do insanity six days a week. Even, even if I had a dental appointment at 8 a.m., this is a true story. I got up at 4.30 a.m. to eat my breakfast, stretch, and finish my workout and shower and still drive to my dental appointment at 8 a.m. because I did not want to miss a day of my training. And I would shoot all day. I would go to the park, but there was no lights. So in the winter, the sun set earlier. I would still go after work. I would shoot in the dark. You know dodgeball? That guy says, you could dodge a wrench. You could dodge a ball. I was like, if I could shoot in the dark, I could shoot in the light. I, I was shooting basketball in the dark, y'all. That is so stupid. That's not even useful. That's just dumb. I was literally shooting basketball for an hour, hours in the dark. I told myself I cannot leave until I make 200 shots in the dark. And no one's rebounding my ball. So I'm just letting you guys know. That's kind of the picture. So this is crazy Chinese kid shooting basketballs at a local elementary school in the dark from 8 till 10 p.m., Getting ready for some church league in November. <laughs> That's the real story, y'all. That's the real story. That's, and I worked hard at my game. Like, it was really important to me. It was really important to me. I would watch videos. We would talk about basketball all the time. I would play basketball four times a week. I would play on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. I would join city leagues to get ready for my church league because I don't want to let my coach down and my teammates down. I would train as hard as I could all the time, nonstop. I would even work out, even if I knew I was going to play basketball later, I would do two-a-days. I would still work out and then go play my game on Thursday night at the City League in South City. Even though I had practice on Sunday, I would still work out on Sunday. Even though I had open gym on Tuesday, I would still work out before open gym on Tuesday. I did two-a-days. And let me tell you something. Can I tell you about the best player on my team? I referenced him earlier. You know, you guys remember that sermon where I talked about the guy who called me out and said I plateaued? Remember that guy? Plateau guy? Can I, can I, tell, you, can I tell you about a plateau guy who, called, who said that I plateaued? He was, he, was our, he was our second best player on our team. But that guy, he never practiced outside of practice. Never. Never. He was like watching like initial D all day, watching anime all day, eating whatever he wanted. Like I was trying to lose weight, like get cut, get fit. He would eat whatever he wants, still had a six pack and he would just show up on practice and just drop 30. I'm telling you, is that fair? <laughs> I am bitter, y'all. <laughs> and then he won league MVP. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> all that to say, all that to say, Okay, your hard work is important, but your hard work does not, does not suddenly make you the owner of everything that's in your life. In fact, your hard work is actually your responsibility in how you take care of what was given to you in your life. You guys get that? We think that our hard work says, I get ownership of that. Actually, your hard work is because you've been entrusted with it. I'm gonna say that one more time. We think that when we work hard, I own that now. That's wrong. You work hard because you were given it in the first place. Your responsibility is hard work. That's not ownership. That's not a right to ownership. Can I give you an example of what that would look like? That's like saying, if I own a hedge fund and all these celebrities put all their millions of dollars into my hedge fund and I'm really good at what I do, let's say I'm really good at it, and I make them tons of money. That at, the, at, the, at, the, at the year end meeting, I go, hey, yeah, guys, you know, I increased your 
return on investment by like 40%. You guys are all doing great. But actually, you know what? I had a thought that just came to my mind. Um, you guys don't spend one minute in this office. You know, actually, I I'm doing all the work. I mean, you guys just put your money in here and deposit it. I mean, I'm the one that busted my butt all day long, 12-hour days. Actually, you know what? I think I'm just going to take all your money. Thanks, guys. See you all later. <laughs> that would never happen, guys. That would never happen. <laughs> so why do we think that with God? When God gives us all these things and we're like, well, God, you didn't do anything. I did everything. That now we get ownership. It's not yours. No matter how hard you work with it, because it was never yours to begin with. It was given to you. But can I tell you something? You still benefit from it. That's the beauty of it. He still lets you have it, but it's, but it's a shared ownership. But you have to know he's the majority holder. Don't, don't come in and take that from him. That's his right. So yes, you worked hard, and yes, you did produce the results that you produced, but it doesn't create ownership. There's a difference. It creates fruit. It created success. It created production. Yes, but it did not create ownership when it did not when it wasn't there. You cannot overstep that bound, you guys, okay? Now, the second thing I want to go into is you might say, well, Jeremy, you know those nine things you said in my life that were unchangeable? Well, you know what? Those all, were, those, those all weren't good things. You know that? See, I didn't have a choice in those things, Jeremy. That's not fair. You, you act like all those things that were given to me were for my benefit, you know? Like all those nine things were an advantage for me. Well, what about the ones that weren't an advantage for me? What about that? Huh? Does God take ownership of that? Does God take ownership for the fact that he gave me a broken household? Does God take ownership for the fact that I wasn't in a good situation where I could succeed? I wasn't in a good place where I could go to school and be educated. We weren't in a good financial situation. I didn't have those opportunities. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I do understand. And I want to talk about that. I want you to know that there's two categories when it comes to the difficult things that we've been given in our life, right? So the good things are easy to understand. We have them, we use them, we're responsible about working hard, and then we both benefit. But what about the bad things, right? The bad things, there's two categories, okay, guys? We have to separate them. One category is it's bad because it was caused by man. I want you guys to know that. So as you're looking at your life right now and what's inside of what we call your life or your lot, the bad things you have to differentiate between two types. One type is it's bad because of a person. And what I mean by that is that it was a result of someone else's poor decision. I want you to know that God didn't want your parents to split up. I want you to know God didn't want your father to gamble all your money away. I want you to know that, you're, that God did not want your dad to run away and not come back. God didn't want those things to happen. Okay? I mean that. I mean that with all the my heart in a loving manner. God didn't want that to happen, but you can't blame God for that either. God gives us free choice, and that's unfortunately a consequence of sin and how much we need God as humans. So some of the difficult circumstances that were put into your life, it's not because of God. It's because of poor decisions by man, by humans. So I think it's dangerous when we blame God for those things because that's the because that's the reality of free will that God gives us. But it's also the reality of depravity that we need Jesus. And we need a savior, guys. So can I say that first? But there is a second category. Where you feel like this bad thing just came out of nowhere. This disease just came out of nowhere. This trouble just came out of nowhere. It wasn't anyone's fault. No one asked for it. No one made a bad decision. It just came out of nowhere. And I understand. And I want to read you a story. 
about that. It's in John 9. It's about the man born blind. If you want to turn there with me, it's in John 9, chapter, verse 1. It says, as he passed by Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. And, he, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man? Hold on, sorry. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let's go further to verse 7. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. And he, sent, and he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, I pick this story because I understand. And Jesus understands. Sometimes you were given something. It was no one's fault. This man was born blind. And the, and the disciples assumed, oh, must have been a man's fault. Must have been a punishment, a generational curse. What did his parents do or what did he do? But Jesus said no. He's actually not. So I, there is a second category. There is a second category. And if you're in this category, I want you to know I understand. I want you to know I have compassion and Jesus has compassion. But there's a powerful purpose of why he let it come into your life. Let's look at what Jesus actually said in verse 3. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but, this is the purpose right here, that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's purpose number one. Let me tell you something, guys. It doesn't seem fair, I understand, but it's actually a blessed opportunity. I know that sounds really like stupid and cliche, but you just got to stay with me for a second, okay? God allowed this to happen so that this man could experience a unique and special encounter with Jesus that no one else could have. Who else could have the son of man go right up to him and place his very hands on his face? Only a few people in the history of the entire world could say that. That's a unique and special opportunity. I want you guys to know when God gives those things into your life, his first purpose is that he might display a mighty and great thing in your life. Something so powerful, so amazing that could never have happened if that was not there first to show the greatness and the glory and the love of the Father. It's an opportunity for you to experience God like you've never experienced him before. Can we go to the next verse? This is a little bit later on. This is the second part of what Jesus wants to do. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So basically the Pharisees didn't believe him. Long story, don't worry about it. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This is the second purpose. When God gives you difficult things in your life, the second purpose is because he's doing it for a relationship. He wants to intimately step into that place and reveal himself to you in a real and authentic way. This is the purpose of Jesus for those things that you feel like they came out of nowhere. Why did it happen? Why did you give this to me? I know it's difficult. I don't want to take away the, the, the suffering and the hurt. But I want you to know that Jesus has a powerful purpose for it. 
He wants to do a mighty work, a great and powerful thing in your life. And he wants to encounter you in an intimate, real way, intimately into that space and show you who he is and have deep relationship with you through that if you're willing to let him in. Okay, so let's wrap this up. So we've talked about stewardship, guys, and I want to get to the heart of it. I want to go back to the very first thing I said. Stewardship is a relationship. If you leave here with anything, I want you to remember that. Stewardship is a relationship. And I believe today God is inviting you to recognize that dynamic of your relationship. Yes, you're a son and daughter. Yes, you're, you're, you're an heir to the throne of Jesus. Yes, you're his beloved. Yes, you're the sheep that he goes after. Yes, you're the one that he loves. But you're also a steward. And that's not a lesser thing. It's a different dynamic of your unique and complex and beautiful relationship with Jesus. You are a trusted and honored steward with which he has given you beautiful valuable, precious resources too. And he doesn't just give it to anybody. He doesn't just give it to anybody. The question is, are you going to recognize it? Are you going to accept that that is the truth or walk away from it and say, no, everything is mine? Can you bow your heads? I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do two things today. I believe the Holy Spirit is asking you two questions. The first thing he's asking is, will you acknowledge that everything you have is from me? That's the first thing he's asking right now. So I want you to just pray and interact with Jesus right now. Interact with God. Have a dialogue with him. God is asking you right now, will you today acknowledge that everything that you have in your life is from me? Good or bad. Good and bad. But the totality of it is good, right? We talked about this. The good things, the resources, they're blessings so that you can succeed and grow and prosper. But the bad things so that you can see the power and the move of God and the intimacy of his relationship with you. So in totality, everything in your life is good. And so God is saying, do you acknowledge that everything that you have is actually from me? It's a shared ownership. I'm not saying it's all mine and you're just, you're just my slave. You're my son and my daughter. But where did it come from? Where's the majority ownership of that? Will you acknowledge today that I am the master and that you are the steward? And that, yes, it is yours, but it's actually first mine and that I've given it to you. I want you to think about parts of your life that you feel like, no, Jesus, I can't give this to you. It's mine. And I feel like the Holy Spirit right now is, is going about the room and touching hearts and highlighting certain things, certain relationships, certain achievements, certain events, certain skills that you feel like, no, God, that's actually mine. That's not yours. That's mine, God. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to lovingly step into that place right now. Because I think the second thing he wants to do is that if you really want to shift your perspective, I'm going to give you the secret to doing that right now. It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. When you give thanks for that, it shifts your perspective automatically. When you give thanks for that thing that you think is yours and not God's, the moment you give thanks for it, you acknowledge that it was a gift. You acknowledge that it was given to you. So right now, I'm telling you right now in faith, if you want to shift right now and fully walk into your calling as a steward of the most high God who's entrusted to you beautiful and powerful things, Whatever in your heart that you're holding on to, give thanks for it. Even if you don't feel like it, right now, just choose to give thanks for it. Just choose to give thanks for it and say, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Because through the act of thanksgiving, your heart will shift. Through the act of thanksgiving, your perspective will shift. 
because Thanksgiving releases blessing, guys. Thanksgiving releases breakthrough. Thanksgiving is a pathway to greater faith and to greater obedience. When you give thanks, you are raising God to the place where he belongs and seeing yourself where you really are. When you give thanks, you are letting go of control of that thing and saying, God, it's yours. But I thank you that you gave it to me. Do you see that balance? You're saying, God, it's yours, and I let it go. But I thank you that you let me have it. I thank you that you let me have it, but it's yours, God. But I thank you that you let me have it. I just want you to start saying that in your heart right now. Whatever it is, God, thank you for this relationship. I thought it was mine, but you know what, God? I thank you that you let me have it. I thank you for my spouse, God. I thought I went and got her. I thought I went and got him. I thought I went and wooed this person. I thought I went and impressed them. But God, I realized they were a gift from you. You gave them to me, God. I thank you that you let me have them. I thank you, God, for my job, my promotion, my finances, God. I thank you that you let me have it. I thank you, God, for my house, my car, all the good things that I have, the fact that I could live this certain lifestyle, God. I thought it was all me. I thought it was all my works, what I did. But you know what, God, today, I stand here and I say thank you, God, that you gave me the resources. You gave me the talents. You gave me the skills. You gave me the mind that I had to be able to succeed in where I was. And God, I thank you that you let me have all that I have. Just begin to give thanks right now in your heart. That's the key right now. So the Holy Spirit is asking, will you acknowledge me that everything you have is mine? It came from me. And secondly, will you give thanks for the things in your life that you feel like are still yours? Will you give thanks for those things? Because in doing so, you release. You release it back to me. You release it back to me. And now you can fully step into your calling as a steward. Jesus, Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Thanksgiving activates the heart of a steward. Thanksgiving activates the heart of a steward. Joseph was thankful for everything that he had. That's why he succeeded in Potiphar's house. I'm going to give you guys a little teaser as we wrap up right now. You cannot step into the life of a steward and receive any of the blessing and the honor and the wonderful life that comes of being a steward if you're not thankful. That is the secret and the power of a, of, a, of a faithful steward is thankfulness, guys. When you are thankful, it will unlock all the blessing and all the benefits of being a steward. Yes, God, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today. We thank you, Lord, for being with us today. We thank you, Lord, for your powerful word. Father, we know every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above who does not change like shifting shadows, God. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, God. Every talent that we have, every opportunity that we have, every relationship that we've been given, every family member that we've had, the fact that we were born in this age with technology and information so accessible to us, God. The fact that we were born in America where by the average American income, we are already in the top 1% of income earners in the entire world compared to the rest of the world, God. That's how blessed we are, God. Will we shift our perspective today, God, to realize that everything that we have is from you and it is good, God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it, God, because we know that it's not ours. You've just entrusted it to us and we have shared ownership of it now. But we realize that you are the master and we are the steward. Thank you, God, for trusting us with your precious and powerful and valuable resources. Even the very breath that we breathe, God, was first your breath, your very breath you gave to us that we could breathe as a living 
being. We thank you, God, for everything. We relinquish control. We relinquish ownership, God. And we acknowledge you today as the master. And we thank you for calling us into a unique and special relationship as an honored and trusted steward that we might walk, live, prosper, eat, fellowship, worship with you in the same house. We're not some servant or dog that leaves at nine to five. We live in the same house. We receive the same blessings. It's an intimate relationship. And we thank you for that today, God. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. And we exalt you to the highest place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.